0: Hello. So I got a question about bulimia uh, from a student. She said to me, I can't afford coaching, but it would be cool if you could talk about bulimia. Uh, It's a tricky one, this. (laughs) Um, You might have clicked on this because of the title and the thumbnail and gone, why is this guy in a muscle vest, what we call a vest or a tank top, talking about bulimia when he clearly has no idea what bulimia is? Well that response is the reason why, uh, very few men actually report being bulimic. Uh, very few men report any kind of, uh, mental illness that could possibly be a mar on their perceived masculinity. I did, uh, when I was 18, run the bulimia program for about six months. And at that time, uh, it, my parents were actually getting divorced at that time. Uh, and I was also, there was various activities that I would engage in that I would describe as being self-harm. Uh, where this has to come from, I think there's a couple of things. One is, you've got to be fairly miserable. I remember when I was doing it, I was fucking miserable all the time. Another is, you need to have some kind of a damage to your uh, self-image, to your sense of who, sense of who you are, And you need to be perceiving yourself as uh, ugly um, and as worthless. The young lady in the email said, You know, there's nothing I can do that helps me to deal with the fact that I feel like I'm fundamentally a shitty person. Her words. And uh, I empathise. So, how do we deal with this? So, one of the first things, uh, what what I hope to do with this video is, is not cover all ground, tell you stuff that you've already seen before. And hopefully I can give people something that would actually be of use so they can take away something that that, that potentially uh, could change their approach to how they think about the issue and change the behavior around the issue, Uh, which would be a great thing if I could do that via like a 15 to 20-minute long YouTube video. But that's the goal. That's the ambition here. For free, for the karmic plush points. Um, So I wanted to refresh my memory on bulimia. So I, I started looking at the literature and after about 15 minutes of going through it, I just felt overwhelmed with ugh, depression and negativity and just like, oh God, this is so awful. Uh, and what happens is you, you read lists of the ways in which things can go wrong, which is an unfortunate element of, of the study of any, anything that could fall under the, the subject heading of abnormal psychology. You know ...any kind of personality disorder or mental illness or neurosis... ...and it's just a list of how things go wrong and it's really overwhelming. And one of the things that I reminded myself is... ...well, you can't cure bulimia for everybody... ...but you can do it on a case-by-case basis. You're only ever actually dealing with one person at a time. And I was like, oh, thank God, okay. Yeah, now I feel like I can cope with this. So if you're ever if you're a coach or a therapist and you're dealing with bulimia... You can only deal with it on a case by case basis. You can only help that individual who sat in front of you. Um, And the other thing is to remember that when you're looking at this literature, not everybody has every single aspect of all these elements and all the comorbidities at the same time. So that's a relief. Uh, You've got to deal with with the individual who sat in front of you. So I did that and uh, one of the things that I didn't know before that, but I got from trying to refresh my memory is bulimia actually means, uh, ravenous hunger, uh, bulimia nervosa is ravenous hunger of the nerve that affects the nervous system. It comes from Greek. Bulimia comes from Greek. Uh, uh means ox and, uh, limos means hunger. So it's a huge ravenous ox like hunger. Uh, which of course is a bit strange because in bulimia, there isn't really, a, it's, it's not, you wouldn't experience it as being ravenous hunger all the time. Uh, certainly not normally, uh, what you would experience. I think the, the, the more prevalent experience of, of bulimia is uh, self-loathing. You need to have a very strong self-loathing program running in order for the bulimia program to run and run effectively, uh. A few years ago, I got into looking at anorexia and bulimia again. Instead of looking at why people did it, I spoke to people, other, other people who had uh, eating disorders and just was talking more about how they did it. And I actually found this to be more useful and maybe this would be useful to people watching the video as well. All therapy fundamentally comes down to the same thing. You've got to raise awareness of an issue, externalize it, and then change the mechanics of how that issue manifests. Um, that requires awareness, and it requires awareness of the awareness and an awareness that there are mechanics that hold certain neurotic patterns in place. So, when I was asking, how do you do anorexia? How do you do bulimia? It allows us to get into the, the strategies that are running, the programs that are running so that we can get inside and change them. I got different answers. Um, a couple that stuck out for me. One was an anorexic uh, who told me that she was anorexic by telling herself that she was on a point system. And the less food she ate, she'd get a point, especially if she could eat less than the people around her. That would be like a double point. And she would get Um, I guess she trained herself to get like um, um, a dopamine release, a buzz from eating less than everybody else around her. She was raised in a a very image conscious, wealthy family in Cheshire, uh, one of four sisters who were all very competitive with each other. And she told me that she competed not just with her sisters to see who could eat the less, but with her friends. And she even ran a strategy where she would try and encourage other people to eat more, especially goals. If she could get another goal to eat more while she ate less, then she got even more points for doing that inside of her head. And I thought that's an interesting strategy for anorexia. So if you ever wanted to adopt that pattern, that would be how you would install a strategy. By understanding how we install a strategy, We can understand how to deconstruct the strategy. Uh, One of the more interesting ones that I heard for bulimia was uh, a friend of mine who I I, I still see now. She's a psychology student. Uh, She told herself that all food was poison um, and she managed to slowly get through from like cakes and sweets are poison. Uh, bread is poison, rice is poison, all meat is poison. And then it was like, she slowly, slowly, slowly convinced herself that all of the food was poison. And she, that was a very effective strategy for her. She eventually convinced herself that all drink was poison, including water. And then she went to hospital and nearly died. Uh, she was bulimic to the point where her body was so malnourished, her hair was falling out. Um, so she ran a strategy, a program, of bulimia that worked for her that held this uh, strategy in place, that held the, the behavior pattern in place. She would. De- I asked her to describe in detail how it felt when food was inside of her. And she said when food was inside of her, she imagined uh, that it was the most disgusting, horrible feeling in the world and she could feel this poisonous element moving through her system and she would never feel relief and release until she threw it up and got it out. That, again, is an interesting strategy. I'm giving you stuff here that you can reverse engineer. If you're thinking about it in that way, that would hold the strategy in place. If you think about, if you think about it in another way, it will reverse the strategy. This young lady uh, who I'm friends with is also uh, a long-term self-harmer. She's an Indian girl. And um, the skin on her arms uh, looks like a checkerboard. Uh, because the skin is brown but it scars white, it scars not white but, but pale and uh, she's actually carved her arms in, in, in squares. Uh, so self-harm I think is important. When I was running the uh, bulimia program at that time, as I said I was, I was miserable, uh, not happy at all and I would also engage in acts of self-harm. Uh, I wasn't much of a cutter, I would hit myself. Uh, that was a manifestation, I think, of extreme frustration of being in a toxic family environment. Um, on another video, I spoke about how when I was a kid, I was horrified. We went to a zoo in Spain, a not very well kept zoo, a not very humane zoo, and I saw a fox in a cage that was jumping onto its bench and off its bench and onto its bench and off its bench in a circle like that. And I asked my father, What's it doing? And my father said, Oh, it's, it's gone insane and now it's trying to die. <laughs> this video is depressing so far, but stick with me. It gets better. Uh, I think humans work the same way. If you're pushed into a cage that is too small, eventually you go insane. Um, you know, there are reports back from Guantanamo Bay that if you lock people up in solitary confinement, force them to listen to music over and over again, the same song over and over again. Uh, some of you will remember that the uh, there were like kids Cartoons, theme songs that were were played over and over again as a form of stress torture and prisoners started to pull their own hair out. They would grab hold of their own hair and just rip it out. As a way of of kind of trying to escape the torture that they couldn't escape, they would hurt themselves to externalise the pain. This isn't a video about self-harm per se, but I actually would claim that anorexia and bulimia probably should be in the self-harm cluster and, and have to manifest in that way anorexia is less violent but bulimia is very very violent what eventually happens to bulimics is that they start to get scars on the back of their hands from the trauma that's induced by the incisors so if you keep pushing your hand down your throat eventually the back of your hand gets carved up by the incisors and and they'll end up with, uh, with scarring there the teeth start to wear away because the stomach acid just burns the enamel down through the teeth and eventually the teeth will wear away it's very violent. It's a very, very violent thing to do to yourself. I mean, if you, even if you didn't vomit, if you were just shoving your fingers forcefully into your own esophagus, that would be extremely painful. Um, so it is, to me, it's, it's, it's got to be seen as a form of self-harm. Anorexia, still self-harm. Maybe not quite as, as violent, uh, but no less deadly. Um, anorexics, uh, I think... Are you, like if somebody is bulimic I think the literature says they're usually about normal weight because they're in a cycle of eating and then purging, binging and then purging, anorexics obviously are underweight so it's more dangerous to be anorexic but the violence is close to the surface with uh, with bulimics so what do you do with this okay now we get into that, that's all the bad stuff for the video, come with me a little further, now we'll get into hopefulness land, uh, how do I think this can be dealt with my friend who was a bulimic for years and nearly killed herself um, is now not a bulimic anymore. She doesn't run the bulimia strategy. One of the things that she's done that works for her is uh, she switched the metaphor a little bit. She trains a lot. Uh, she's into it. That's how I know her. I know her through the gym. We train together sometimes. And her primary, it's still she still effectively has body dysmorphia. Uh, there is still a wound to the self-image that has to be dealt with that is being dealt with that doesn't have to be dealt with but that is being dealt with by the self by the brain in a way that is neurotic so there is body dysmorphia still there but if you can convert the body dysmorphia from i'm ugly and i need to i'm fat and i'm disgusting and food is disgusting and i need it out of me to this is the body i would like to build and then going into bodybuilding you could say that it's a slightly healthier manifestation it's still neurotic Therapy still needs to be done. Healing still needs to be done because there's still a wound to the self-perception. That's what body dysmorphia is. Body dysmorphia uh, in anorexics uh, and bulimics is you would see your own body and you'll always perceive it as fatter than it is. So you look in the mirror and you don't see the real reflection. You just see a perception. So you look in the mirror and you see fatness even when there's none there. Bigorexia... Um, is what guys and girls who are addicted to bodybuilding have, and uh, especially when they're addicted to steroids, bigger It's often it's not well known, probably because it has a slightly ridiculous title, bigorexia that's the real that's the real term for it. Is uh, for bodybuilders, we look in the in the mirror and we always think we're small, and you always need to get bigger. Um, but I would argue that because. Part of the discipline of training and being in the gym is you have to eat and you have to eat good food. So you could transfer uh, uh, binging and purging into, oh, I have to stick to a low-carb diet. I have to stick to a high-protein diet. And you're actually still at least building yourself up so it's a little bit healthier. One of the things that I think would work really, really well in this scenario, and, and bearing in mind this is a YouTube video that is designed specifically for one person that might help you change things up, is to do the following. And I did, uh, to to do this video and to answer your question, uh, I did a a 40-minute walking meditation specifically on this and a few things came up. One thing that came up was mindfulness. If you turn up your intuition, turn up your sensitivity, turn up your mindful awareness to how you feel, what you're thinking and what's going on at the internal level, you might be able to catch the cues that you're about to go into cycle and run the bulimia program, because the bulimia program is a cycle. In fact, I should probably talk about that briefly. The cycle works like this. The person feels anxious and stressed, but they don't know why. The individual doesn't know why they're feeling so anxious and so stressed out and feeling so overwhelmed with emotion, and that makes them crave junk food and the overeating of junk food. Why? Well, the overeating of junk food is actually a really effective way, but not a healthy way, of numbing out anxiety and depressive feelings and depressive thoughts, why is that? Well, if you stuff yourself with high salt, high sugar, very processed carbohydrate heavy food, some chemicals are released in the brain that tell you everything is okay, you're full now, you're not in survival mode, you can relax a little bit and it does work, it numbs the person out. I've said on this channel before, one of my biggest longest term addictions wasn't any of the stuff that you people usually talk about, like drugs, like cocaine or smoking or alcohol, it was food. Food was the biggest addiction that I had to battle with for, for years. Um, and it's because it works. It's because if you if you suffer from complex PTSD, which if you've never heard of and you're a bulimic, you should go and look up. If you're running the bulimia program, you should seek to try and educate yourself a little bit about this. Complex PTSD is uh, a fairly, as far as I'm aware is a fairly new term, a fairly new idea, which is that rather than being able to say, okay, you have post-traumatic disorder because you were hit by a car, you have post-traumatic disorder because you were hit by an IED in Iraq and you lost a limb because of it, complex PTSD is like saying there is just so many different things that happened over a long period of time that you generally have a baseline level where your normal waking consciousness is highly stressed because it's traumatized. This will manifest in different ways. One of the main ones that I see with clients is catastrophic thinking. Um, If you feel basically anxious all the time, if you feel like you're a repellent, disgusting, horrible, low value person all the time, you're probably looking at complex PTSD that's rooted in childhood trauma. That's probably the root. What's childhood trauma? Now, people then go, but I didn't have cigarettes, put out my arms I didn't have my fingernails pulled out it doesn't matter if you were um, screamed at as a child like if you had an adult in front of you in a psychotic level of rage that will give you complex PTSD quite simply because your body is being flooded with adrenaline at levels that are really really high remember there are parts of your body and brain that are still rooted in evolution that goes back to the jungle so you, your, your brain is telling you, oh, fuck, you're about to be eaten by a saber-toothed tiger, when actually what it is is your mother or father screaming at you. Plus, there's usually physical violence there as well. Plus, you're usually in an environment where you don't know whether your mother and father are going to go off the wall today or not. So there's a lack of consistency, and that lack of consistency creates personality disorders in people. Plus, some people were sexually abused. That creates personality disorders like avoidant personality disorder. So all of this gets terribly complicated. When I wanna, uh, just to wrap this subplot off, when I wanna make this point with clients and they say, I don't think I suffered from an abusive childhood, I don't think I was abused. I say, okay, let's imagine this. We bring a little four-year-old child into the room, my child, small girl, little tiny uh, girl, vulnerable, sensitive, she's here and she sat there and I go fucking ape shit and start screaming. I, I don't touch her. I don't, I don't need to touch her. I don't need to hit her. I don't need to do the things that people say classically as childhood abuse, like torture, putting cigarettes out on people and stuff. I scream in her face with just pure blind rage to the point where she's so terrified she pisses herself. Now, even as I just described that to you in your imagination, some of you will find that very, very upsetting. Is it abuse or not? Yes, it is. That's abuse, 100%. That child will now be terrified, not just of me, but of everything for the rest of her life, unless we go in and change that up. If I do that to her every day, if I am sometimes nice, sometimes I'm being the nice father and sometimes I'm being the crazy, satanic, evil father, then that's going to confuse her. She's never, she's gonna to learn to misperceive reality. She's gonna to learn to understand that people are not, uh, are not trustable. And she's gonna be, uh, if, you, if you think about the, the, the child as a, as a biological machine that is imprinting emotional realities, what's the emotional reality she's just imprinted from that? It's a bad one, right? Now you're looking at me and you hate me because I just screamed at an imaginary girl, but I didn't oh. do it, she's not there. And if she was, I wouldn't do that. So stop hating me. <laughs> Um, it's important that you understand and have compassion for what you might have gone through as a child and that that's the root of the problem that you feel anxious all the time that you feel like you can't trust yourself like that you feel that you hate yourself that you feel like you can't trust reality that's complex ptsd that's rooted in childhood trauma that gives us weak ego boundaries That means that we don't know whether the feelings we're feeling are our feelings or other people's feelings. How does that happen? Because you've been around a parent who's perhaps an alcoholic or a drug addict or just a a psychotic. And you need, your survival is telling you, you need to understand what this crazy fuck is going to do next. So a little girl in this scenario would need to watch very intensely for crazy daddy's social cues to know whether he's going to go insane or not. And have one of his screaming fits which would then induce terror. So, so I'm saying? This is the pattern that some of us are locked into as adults and it's confusing. So, mindfulness was the first thing that came to mind and understanding that if you are walking around with a sense of anxiety and a sense that everything is wrong and that everything is going to go wrong at the drop of a hat, it's called catastrophic thinking. Catastrophic thinking is you regularly imagine horrible things occurring for no known reason. Your friend is 15 minutes late to meet you at Starbucks and you imagine that they've just been mashed to death in a hideous crash or they've been kidnapped in a, you know, <laughs> it's just crazy, crazy thoughts. Where does that come from? Where does your craziness come from? Back to childhood. Well, well let's, okay. Now you be the therapist. Where's that come from? If I scream at the little girl for no reason whatsoever, what, what what's her reality? Her reality is falling apart because I'm God. I'm God in the little girl's reality In my little girl's reality. I'm absolutely God. So I'm ter- God is now terrifying. Reality is now crumbling. My whole reality, if I become the child, my whole reality is crumbling because this godlike entity is furious with me and I don't know why. God who should love me hates me. God who should love me is punishing me, beating me, and I can't figure out why that's happening. If you read the book of Job, I think what the book of Job is, is uh, well, it's partly comedy, I think it's satire, but it sounds like the imprinting of somebody uh, as, uh, as an adult Who's trying to uh, give a metaphor To an angry jealous God Who does things, very cruel things Capriciously And if you go and read the book of Job Or a synopsis of the book of Job You'll find out what I'm talking about And God does do it in that story For the most capricious and stupid reason Out of pure ego God starts torturing a, a righteous man Out of nothing more than pride um, It's a very deeply, deeply satirical story That's right there in the Old Testament So, enough about that. So, be mindful that you might have this complex PTSD. Be mindful if you're feeling anxious. Be mindful of what it is that might make you want to binge on food. Be mindful of triggers. There's certain situations, certain people that you get into where you think, the only thing I want to do right now is uh, eat, I don't know, like five uh, bags of cookies in one go and a bowl of ice cream. Then feel nauseous. Then feel full of self-loathing and hatred. Then be fearful of the consequence of what I've just done. Now I need to do something about this and throw it back up. Be aware of that. Don't hate yourself for it. Don't hate yourself for hating yourself. Don't hate yourself for hating yourself for hating yourself. Don't hate for the hate, the hate, the hate. See the echo of the, the issue? The very fact that you're still here and still soldering on is a reflection of your spirit and your character. You've survived. Well done. Uh, you were not given the tools to, man- to work in the world in a way that was was healthy and, and progressive. So now we have to go back and do some self-parenting and undo the mess that other people in their unconsciousness have created. Victims are victims, it's a cycle. But we have to stop the cycle. We have to create awareness and stop the cycle from continuing. How do we do that? Awareness, mindfulness. Today I hate myself. Hmm. Now instead of squashing that down with some fake positivity, those are, I watched a Lego movie last night, which is quite a cool film, on a lot of levels, um, but one of the characters was called the Unicorn Kitten, I think, and she was this hyper-positive, always-have-to-be-rigidly-positive-all-the-time type, type of characters. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't squash it all down and just smother it in fake positivity. Don't put a fucking Band-Aid on a gaping, bleeding wound. Acknowledge that it's there. I hate myself today. That's interesting. Why? I feel like shit today. I feel really awful. I feel like I want to pull my own skin off today. Why is that? Hmm, that's interesting. Get curious. Get interested. This might actually be a strategy that allows you to get some real leverage and some real traction on working forward with this problem. Um, the other thing, that I, the second thing that occurred to me as I was doing the walking meditation on bulimia was compassion. Compassion. Compassion gonna have to start relearning to be gentle with yourself maybe you're not gentle with yourself i certainly wasn't at that age when i was running the bulimia strategy i was savage with myself and the same parents who taught me to be that brutal with myself used to mock me for it they'd be like oh my god you're such a fucking masochist why are you training all the time what's wrong with you it's like you're trying to hurt yourself it's like you're trying to torture yourself and i'd be sat there going yeah i fucking wonder why you freaks one of my clients um Said something very funny about this the other day. He said he said, I've created a metaphor for it. He said, uh, it's like my parents broke my legs um, and then gave me splints and crutches. And then every time I try and walk, I'm in pain and I'm screaming in pain because my legs are broken. And they stand at the side of me saying, Why the fuck are you screaming? What's your problem? And why can't you walk? What's wrong with you? Why can't you why are you so why are you so useless? Why can't you walk? Why are you always screaming in pain? when they're the very people who broke his legs. I said it was funny and then I said it back just then and it didn't sound funny at all. <laughs> you had to be there. Me and my client, we were laughing our asses off at that. It's dark comedy. You need, like, you need a sense of humor for this kind of work, but you need a fairly dark sense of humor to get through this stuff. We will walk through the foothills of, of hell. We will, we will gamble through Gehenna hand in hand, giggling like loons. Uh, so compassion is important. Seeing yourself through a kind of light, they may be, maybe if it's complex PTSD wrought through childhood trauma, they might have taught you to be harsh with yourself, to be brutal with yourself. You might have learned that being uh, brutal with yourself is, is because you're, you're going to copy what your parents do. So if they're brutal with you, you're going to be brutal with you. This takes brutality. This takes violence. This takes a degree of commitment, uh, especially when you're doing it every day jamming that fucking getting the fingers right down your throat until you trip your body into thinking that there's an object there that needs to be removed. And so it vomits, you know, this is not what your body is designed for. It's not what's supposed to be going on. So it takes a lot of brutal, um, self handling. So I would say one of the things that worked, worked for me and I've seen work for other people is learning to be more gentle with yourself, learning to be more compassionate with yourself. um, I'm moving forward in that light. So you've got mindfulness, raising awareness, and learning to be more compassionate. And the third thing I thought is, do you think in terms of strategies? Change the metaphor. You could say, I'm a bulimic. You could say, I'm an anorexic. Or you could change the metaphor, the linguistic metaphor, and say, I'm running a bulimia program right now. And it works. Acknowledge the fact that it works. Maybe not properly. Maybe not very well. Maybe it costs you a lot. Maybe it'll even kill you one day. But don't be in denial about the fact that it works. I spoke to another client the other day about her, um, she's, she's not an alcoholic anymore, but she was an alcoholic in her 20s. And I said, you know, we have to acknowledge that if you did it, you did it because it works. Like I took Coke to the point where I became an, an, an addict, but I did it because it did the job that I wanted it to do. Not well. None of these strategies work well and they all come at cost. They all come at huge cost. But it's a it's a cost to benefit um, relationship analysis that we're running inside of our brains at an unconscious level all the time and you say well this will kind of work for me I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put up with the byproducts and the bad stuff because it's better than just being in pain so acknowledge that it is a strategy acknowledge that there is a program that's being run there and get curious and instead of feeling guilty or feeling angry with yourself like why am I so stupid why would I do something you know you've already done enough of that You've already done enough self berating. You know, if you really want to need to berate yourself some more, then you can go and do some flagellation in the garden or something with a wet lettuce and just say, I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm naughty. I'll, I'll, I'll come round. You can pay me, I'll come round the house. I'll slap you with bits of wet lettuce and say, You're bad, <laughs> you'd be naughty. There's no point in continuing to talk to yourself in a bad tonality. There's no point in allowing the voices of your parents or your abusers to keep running inside of your head. So, well, there is a point if you wanna stay in pain. So we have to look at ways in which we can change that or stop it in a way that is gentle, compassionate, mindful, non-neurotic, and that moves us towards health and sanity and cheerfulness and optimism uh, and the ability to get on with our lives. Changing the metaphor is going to help. As I said, with my friend who is a bulimic, um, and was running the bulimia program, she then switched that up to going, okay, well now, I'm, I'm, she wants to be a bodybuilder. She wants to be in shape, and she's she's doing really really well. She's she's gotten really strong and, and got you know did some really good developments in the last six months or so. But she went to another environment uh, in another continent in a certain culture where she had to be a part of the family and she couldn't question anything. Sounds like the beginnings of a double bind scenario, doesn't it? And she was given food that she wouldn't have chosen. The food of that particular nation is quite carby and not very healthy. And if she hadn't eaten with the family, she would have been rejected by the family. So she felt out of control. So the way that she handled being out of control there was that she went back to being bulimic. And she said to me, but I only did it a few times. And I was like, but dude, Dude, this is really bad for you. Really bad for your training. Your muscles will be eaten. They'll catabolize, and you'll lose that nice thick look that you're going. You want your muscles to have shape. It's going to catabolize the muscles. Catabolism is the opposite of metabolism. If you throw up and you go low calorie, your body starts to draw energy from sources like fat, but also muscle tissue. Especially if you throw up, will make the muscles look um, look atrophied and, and, and weak. Like sagging balloons. And that can happen within uh, four to six weeks. There's a metaphor here. This is called covert hypnosis. Strength sometimes is necessary. New disciplines are sometimes necessary in order for us to move forward. A shift in self-image can sometimes be necessary. Do you have to go and take a bodybuilding to overcome bulimia? No, that wouldn't be the point of the metaphor. You need to think about things in a different way. You need to be more mindful, more gentle, more compassionate with yourself and get curious. Say, how do I do this? how am I running this strategy? That's what they call an NLP, a strategy. Everybody has a strategy for everything, whether you're driving a car or getting depressed. There's a certain sequence of things that you need to think and say and feel inside of your own mind and inside of your own body. Even the way you move your physiology becomes part of that strategy. Okay, that's enough on that subject. I hope this has helped. Um, If it did or it didn't, Please leave me a comment or some feedback in the uh, comment section below. Thank you very much for your time and your attention, and I'll speak to you again soon. Thanks.